Greetings, adventurers. Before we begin today's tale, we'd like to talk about our sponsor for a service that is both useful and important. We speak, of course, of NordVPN. NordVPN is a virtual private network application, basically a magic item with infinite counterspell scrolls that can work against the scrying factions of the interwebs and various protective charms that keep your virtual communication pigeons and messages safe. In a technical sense, it establishes a secure connection to a remote server in the astral plane and allows you to access so much more content from across the world and greater multiverse. We set up our podcasting business while we still lived in the US, but after moving to Germany, we saw several problems arise we hadn't expected. Some of the things we needed on a daily basis are region locked to the US, like our banking. So we started using a VPN to securely log onto the banking website until we could talk to our bank about the issue. After two hours talking with them, their grand solution was exactly what we had figured out, NordVPN. But NordVPN isn't only a stoic bodyguard, it also has a fun side. Did you know that a large variety of entertainment is region locked, like your old DVDs? What's a DVD? Let's not make us feel old and instead explain that while you're logged into NordVPN, you can stream television shows as if you were in a different country. <clears throat> I mean, realm state. So you might have access to an entirely new lineup of great entertainment from services you're already paying for and subscribed to. NordVPN even unlocked a menagerie of new German horror content we'd never even heard of and are delighted to be enjoying every week. To get the best discount for your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash darkdice. Our link also gives listeners four extra months on a two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you've been thinking about using a VPN or are looking for a newer and safer way to utilize the content you're already paying for, or really paranoid that the silent one is secretly reading your emails, give NordVPN a try. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Dark Dice. Today I have uh, our bard with us. Should I call you Hem or Volley? Hem or Volley? I, I don't mind either. I think on here I'm Hem, everywhere else on the internet I'm Volley, and in other places I'm something completely different, so whatever makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> sure. And for those who don't know, in addition to being the GM, I am also the sound designer and music director of Dark Dice. A lot of work goes into the music behind this show, and we thought it would be worth showcasing. So we have a couple of interviews today. We've got a couple of discussions with people who work to make that possible, and we're going to start with the two people you think of as being the musical elements of the show. Well, <laughs> you yes me. <laughs> well, it's, it's sort of your fault in a way that we have all this stuff going on. 
because you're you're like I'm gonna be a bard, and I'm like, oh, it's the perfect opportunity. Well, most people to... when they play bards are just you know you, you do the bardy thing, and then they sing a song and move on. I I I decided to bust out some rhymes for this one, and Travis made me sing half of them. So this is your fault. That was pretty fun. <laughs> yes, it. It has fun. been fun, but I've had to base all of my singing stuff off of other songs because I can't come up with tunes on my own. Um, and that has been... Um, well, I think you've only used the good ones, so I'm grateful for that. And I, I don't know the songs you're you're actually basing them off of, so it's even more fun as I write the, the music to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think any of them have sounded anywhere near what they're supposed to, so I think we're okay. It's been pretty fun. And we've got a couple other ones, too, uh, that have yet to be shared as the mm. season rules assuming you don't die very immediately which could happen but we don't know it could because we've just had the tunnels come out right yeah we just we just got through the tunnels yeah yeah there's, there's some good stuff coming yeah yeah oh it gets dark <laughs> just just a tad <laughs> so uh, into into the music stuff um let's do it let's do it let's do it so people have been asking a lot of questions about dark dice and music and all the stuff that we have going in there what made you decide to go all out in the music on this? What made you decide, that's it, I'm going to call in all those markers I've ever earned in the last 16 plus years. I'm going to make it work for this. What made you decide to do that? So we, this is actually kind of silly. Um, the the little funeral thing happened. We lost a character partway through. So Dark Dice itself wasn't actually supposed to be a podcast. It was going to be just like a little bonus side story for the White Vault, but it didn't wind up being a one-day recording or even a two-day recording. It wound up being a two-weekend-long recording session of eight-hour sessions apiece. <laughs> and some. <laughs> and some. It was like literally... And some, yeah. <laughs> uh, two weekends full of recording for Domain of the Nameless God uh, for, for many of us. And then... Mm-hmm partway through we lost a character and then i got a track you were doing the bard thing which is really fun and that was that was definitely a lot of fun and i've my background is in music i've, I've been a musician for 16 years and i've been kind of musically quiet for the last four of those i play accordion under the name careless juja and let me clarify rock accordion here's a quick example lot of other musicians who compose things and create things that are really talented and over the years I've acquired a very particular set of contacts and and talents uh, with meeting people and putting things together Uh, long story slightly shorter than the long version I got this mp3 file from you actually it was the funeral song uh, for when we lose sister caverns fall and I was like what and I was just like floored by it and you guys like oh this is just a silly thing we did Oh yes, so there's a there's a poem that Sindri, uh, a prayer that Sindri does over Rowena, and I thought it'd be kind of cool just to sing it and put it in later on because I wanted Rowena to reduce stress. That was my genuine motivation, singing is her stress relief. So I recorded it and it's in Icelandic, so I got Ada to help me out, and I just sent it to Travis because it sounded cool. It was super awesome, and I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this could be really pretty." Um, it, it was really pretty, but the idea of like maybe more of it could be more pretty. Like you know, we do all the the stuff to make the combat sound more like a combat than people rolling dice mm-hmm. around a table, and it seemed only 
half-assed if we did not do the same with the music. So let me clarify real quick, I am the music director of the show, I don't actually make a lot of the music directly. I influence it, I edit it, I tweak it, I remix it, um, but I'm not creating or writing the music, I'm just finding the people and putting all the resources together, sort of like the Captain America of the Avengers. I am not the Avengers, I'm, I'm sort of in the Avengers, but I'm not the Avenger. I'm just like the guy who brings it all together. That's my role here. And I, I will often use the term we, even though I'm just referring to myself. It's just awkward to talk about myself. So <laughs> uh, back on topic. So I really like soundtracks like The Witcher and Bloodborne, and I wanted to try and capture that fantasy sound. Something really emotional, and then also gives the dark and gritty perspective of the world that we're trying to create. So the first question is, what instruments is this going to be? Because, you know, it's not going to be a rock sort of thing, because that's sort of the wrong tone. So I looked through all my contacts over the years of, of doing the music stuff and figured out who I knew, and a name popped out. Enzo Pizzovio. He plays some really wonderful instruments, hurdy-gurdy, uh, long-neck long lutes, and a bunch of others that I can't even pronounce. <laughs> and that's like his thing. I was like, hey, would you would you join us on this crazy quest? And he said yes. <laughs> Maybe because he was like, hang on a minute, they're doing D&D. It's everything I can do. <laughs> I mean, also, it's you, Travis. Like, you, you have a very good air about you. Um, people want to help you do things because the things you do are good. Um. Thank you. <laughs> so let's see if we can get the uh, Dark Lantern to summon the spirit of Enzo Pizzovio uh, to this interview real quick. Hi. Hello. It's doing? good to be talking with you. Hey. Oh, awesome. We've, we've never actually ever talked sequentially together um, just by email. Dear listeners, Enzo Pizzovio. It was really great working with you on the Dark Knight soundtrack. You play so many instruments. Can you tell us what you play and a little bit about your musical adventure and career, your life as Dante? I play mainly stringed instruments, specialising in historic and ethnic ones. Hmm. I suppose it all started with being a rebellious teenager. <laughs> Doesn't everything. <laughs> and being an Italian amongst a group of English friends, all playing guitars, I felt qualified to play the mandolin. I found it quite easy to pick up tunes and ended up playing in my local folk clubs. I could have easily fitted in by just playing Irish music, because that's all everyone wanted to hear in the late 70s. But being the eternal rebel, I wanted to bring English folk tunes into English folk clubs. It just <laughs> felt right to me. Eventually, as I got more and more bored with Irish tunes, I got interested in the historic element of English folk tunes. Then, quite by chance, I borrowed an LP of lute music, and I was smitten. That's what I wanted to play. I bought myself a lute, and in the long learning process I discovered other instruments from that 16th, 17th century period. There was the sitan, the collaschone, the orfarian, dulcimer, and English bagpipes too. They all had different sounds, different tunings, different playing techniques, and different repertoires. Then, in 1978, in Paris, I came face to face with a live hurdy-gurdy. I'd heard them on records and on the radio, but never seen one. It took quite some time to save up for them, but eventually, in 1981, I was the proud owner of a modern copy of a 1740s original. Wow, that is awesome. 40s. In 1980, I formed a trio called Greenwood, and the idea was to take historic folk music into folk clubs. It had a mixed reaction. It was like taking traditional music to an extreme, and it wasn't as popular as I wanted it to be. Then our local tourism officer suggested that we play in historic costume and our fortunes changed. I had the opportunity to turn professional in 1984, and the band left the folk scene and headed into the world of corporate entertainment and themed events. We started giving serious concerts at festivals, getting invitations to perform all over the UK, and in 1987 we recorded our first album. We sold hundreds and hundreds. 
That was quite a lot for a niche market in the 1980s. Oh, absolutely. Then we went international. We played in Germany, Spain, Australia, and recorded our second album in 1991. This wasn't a success. No fault of ours. The UK went into recession, and basically the phone stopped ringing and the work dried up. Funding for the arts evaporated, and the corporate world just stopped spending. So the other two members decided to move on. Then I started getting inquiries again, but the message was, we can't afford a trio, but can you play solo? And the thought of that was quite daunting, stepping into the terrifying world of playing alone. As the costume solo work came in, I took the opportunity to create a stage name. And I found people were struggling with my real name, so I became Dante Ferrara. Still sounds Italian, but the name was easier to read, spell and pronounce. And by this time, my instrument collection had grown to about 50. (laughs) A mix of ethnic instruments and modern copies of historic ones. I started giving talks on instruments, and over the year, I recorded three solo albums. As Dante, I've played many times on TV and bits of uh, film. I've played in California, France, Italy, and played for stars such as Elton John and Bill Wyman of Rolling Stones fame. By the time you contacted me, Travis, I'd done quite a few bits of music for a local film company, some of which was period music, other tunes I'd composed, and by then, my instrument collection reached 70. I've stopped <laughs> counting now. First, wow, uh, thank you very much for sharing that. You're, you're essentially the core musician of Dark Dice, and in addition to being a fantastic musician and performer, you also wrote a song for us, uh, Heyman Yosto, otherwise known as Red Ice. Can you tell us a little bit what that process was like for you? Your commission was an interesting challenge, as it was a lengthy piece of incidental music with changing moods to fit with the story. I wanted to use three tunes in the piece, and choosing the right keys was important for both the listener and the practicalities of linking different instruments smoothly. We needed a sense of military terror, so percussion was essential. I used a Moroccan drum for that. A hammer dulcimer set the intro, and the build-up into the singing warriors included a weird stringed instrument called a tromba marina. This was used in the 14th and 15th centuries, and it gives a rasping, percussive drone. Drones are so effective for historic music, and as the menacing army approaches, the hurdy-gurdy gives it more power. I wanted some menacing-sounding words too, but they had to be incomprehensible to the listener. So I invented the words, and I had to convince myself that I would be terrified if I were to hear an aggressive army singing them, coming towards me. The third part of the piece had to have another unworldly feel to it, bringing in an invisible enemy. I bridged the mood change with a rommel pot, Basically, this is a terracotta pot with a pigskin stretched across the top. A wooden stick sits vertically through the skin, and as I rub the stick, the skin vibrates and sounds like this. The hurdy-gurdy comes back and plays the melody in a Locrian mode, which gives it an air of mystery, whilst another tune weaves around it playfully. I was happy with the result. We were too. It really uh, it sounds fantastic and otherworldly in a very creepy way and gets our listeners into very much the mindset of the horrors that are ensuing in our stories. We look forward to featuring your instruments and more of our songs soon. Well, Travis, you've given me opportunities to work with other composers in your circle. Two so far. The standards are high, and it's great to play their tunes on my instruments. I also hope they gain knowledge of how to get the best out of my idiosyncratic sounds. Thank you again. It's, it really is a pleasure working with you, Enzo. Thanks, Travis. It's great to work with you. I always look forward to your next commissions. So that's the story of how we got our first battle theme, Heymen Yosto, otherwise known as Red Ice. 
So we also enlisted the help of Sambo's Miller from Marsfall to play some awesome cello on all of our tracks. And uh, we, we got to writing uh, more battle music as things went along. Uh, next up, from the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, a uh, show that I enjoy, a, uh, a friend of mine, Ryan McQuinn, suddenly appeared. Cough, cough. <laughs> and, and was summoned by the Magic Lantern. Hey, Travis. Oh. How are you? It's hey, good Ryan. To talk to you. Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. I, uh, I'm, I'm regretting mourning the end of pie season, but it comes every year. <laughs> it does. I better get used to it. I have the remnants of one dark chocolate pecan pie on my counter, mm. and that is not long for this world. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're, we're talking about um, the, the song we put together and, and how awesome you are to work with. Yeah, it was great working with you on that too. I, I always love what you're working on. I love when you bring me on board for projects. It's always a fantastic experience, and I appreciate you for that. Absolutely. The pleasure is ours. So for those who don't know Ryan McQuinn, Ryan, what exactly do you do musically? So I write music and make sound effects for video games and podcasts and short films. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It beats the hell out of working. <laughs> so what instruments do you actually play? As far as instruments, I, I'm best at piano. I also play guitar and bass guitar and drums. And once upon a time, I played trombone with a little practice. I'm sure I could again. Um, but most of the time, I'm just using my keyboard to, to play orchestral instruments. A lot of mod wheel. So what was the process of putting together our, our second battle theme? Uh, the one with the, the undead battle theme. The Silent Faithful was a lot of fun to make. You had me write parts for the Hurdy Gurdy, which uh, which was really cool. I had never done that before, um, so I did my Hurdy Gurdy research, and I think that came out really well. Really neat that you actually know a guy who plays Hurdy Gurdy, who was able to to play the parts for us, among all the other instruments instruments he plays that he that he used as well. That was it was really cool. Um, I, as I was reading what was going on in the scene. It was very ritualistic, and it gave me some ideas. I knew I wanted it to be sort of gross, squishy at times, and I had some ideas about using animal sounds in order to help get there. I ended up uh, using some pig grunts that I turned into these sloppy, wet snare sounds, and there were these deer sounds that I ended up uh, turning into, they sound like, Sort, sort of human animal chants and cut them to fit. Let me give you a taste of that. Here are the pig grunts by themselves. Here are the pig grunts after they've been turned into wet snare-ish sounds. Here are the pig grunt snares in the mix. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and here are the deer sounds. Uh, I th what I've got here is already chopped up, so it's pulsing. I think I did that before I affected them at all. Here are the deer sounds uh, after I've uh, manipulated them.
super weird. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's super weird, dude. And here are the deer sounds in the mix. So that was sort of, that was all towards the beginning, and it, it really, uh, I think it helped inspire and inform the rest of the piece of just trying to get that really ritualistic, um, disturbing kind of sound. I love it. Uh, disturbing and informative all in one. By the way, if people want to find you, uh, how do they keep up to date? Uh, yes. If anyone wants to see what I'm up to, you can go to my website, neondolphinmusic.com. And uh, you can always reach out to me at ryan at neondolphinmusic.com or on Facebook or, or Twitter. All the social media. Uh, I think I'm at Ryan McQuinn and at neondolphinpro on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. By the way, uh, thank you again for, for appearing for us and giving us some information on how this was made. Thanks for chatting with us. It's been great talking to you. I appreciate you having me on, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Bye. <laughs> So as we, as our story progresses further and gets more desperate and things are looking rather dire and the, the songs get more erratic, I called upon an old friend, Stephen Malin, to produce the final two battle themes for us. I'd originally met him in all places on, on Kickstarter. Uh, it's kind of a weird place to meet somebody, but that's how we met. And actually, let's see if we can summon him. Lamp, bring forth Stephen Malin. Hey, it's so good to be here. Thanks yes. for having me. We, we got you. Oh, perfect. So I've worked with Stephen on a couple of projects. Liberty, he's worked with us on The White Vault. But what was it like specifically working with us on this show, Dark Dice? Yeah, uh, it was incredible to work on the Dark Dice soundtrack. Dark Dice has been a really interesting project because it has really pushed me as a composer to stretch my imagination and to experiment with a lot of interesting things I normally wouldn't do. So for example, since the entire Dark Dice universe kind of has a mixture of medieval elements with magic, I think it's a really neat opportunity to experiment. So what I chose to do with this soundtrack was to explore medieval instruments, but to play it in very strange and kind of creepy ways. And to combine that with a gothic style choir, a lot of aleatoric and kind of um, pitch bendy, just kind of experimental ways of playing with an orchestra. And you kind of put all these things together and you have a very unique sonic thumbprint or a sonic identity. And that's really what I try to do anytime I work on a project is I just explore different ideas and not all of them are good ideas. And in addition to the introduction theme you did for us, you also worked on two battle themes specifically. So I knew from the beginning, talking with you, Travis, that you wanted five-minute loopable battle tracks. That was kind of the premise. And it's supposed to be background music, but it's also supposed to be intense enough and be interesting enough that it can be loopable. And I've never quite done something just like that. And that's the fun of writing music for different projects and, and brands is it's always different. I really wanted to try to tie in some of these medieval string instruments. And the hurdy-gurdy in particular is such an interesting, very annoying bagpipe type sound. And it's very hard to miss because it's very whiny. And the challenge of getting to write for that instrument and knowing that these instruments were going to be performed live by fantastic musicians, 
Uh, that was very encouraging for me, and I love working with live musicians. And in this situation, knowing that I got to experiment with, with new instruments, and even take a lot of the home percussion instruments that I have here, such as my horror harp, which is actually passed down from my grandmother, it's this huge harp that is strung on accident with guitar strings. And so it's super detuned and wobbly, and as soon as I hit it just makes this awful, awful noises that are perfect for taking, say, a violin bow and bowing it. And it just creates these crazy screeches in the background, and I can play as a percussion instrument. So things like that, just taking some kind of homemade instruments, and weird things that you wouldn't find anywhere else. I love taking those type of elements, whacking guitars and stuff, to create these soundscapes that kind of create the identity of the world, and then having the opportunity to record these, these melodic, beautiful, uh, soaring, um, hurdy-gurdy lines and these intense cello lines and you kind of combine that with a big epic choir and getting to do that with uh, the infernal language that was kind of its own crazy challenge it's yeah it's really epic like it genuinely feels epic listening back to it and i know what happened <laughs> i know how this turns out good or bad like it's it really adds a layer or something to it you, you caught the right people there it was you guys are great what made you decide to go for a 40 person choir <laughs> Oh, um... How did that come about? How did you organize that? How, 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 how... Yeah, I'm going to keep falling over that one word. <laughs> so and <let's>, why? <laughs> so this is actually... Steven sent a really awesome demo because he's amazing. And, like, I, I gave him, here's here's your idea. Okay, here's, like, work in progress thing. And it was it was pretty much done. And it sounded amazing. And he did it in, like, three hours or something. And then, so from there, we wanted to capture a larger sound because we heard the demo and the demo sounded really good, but the choir, which is like a leading part of the song, sounded like not a choir because it was not a choir. So I was like, oh, well, I know this choir out in Budapest. <laughs> just Hang on, you just happen to know a choir? Or well, I have toured Europe in a band. Oh, boy, Travis. So we... <laughs> So we, we, I got in touch with the uh, conductor, who's the only person in the choir who speaks English that I'm aware of, and I uh, got him to agree to, to book us for two hours uh, with a couple of other things that were happening. And it was really difficult because two hours is about 10 minutes of music when you have a choir, and we wanted to, to make this really impactful, and we didn't want to have a bunch of people going like, oh, 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 so we had to write lyrics, <laughs> and that's where uh, Athor father westpike came in so i wrote I these lyrics to say how did how did that come about like i i remember being downstairs when i had Aethel having to stumble over icelandic and english backwards and forwards how did that come about what what does actually the song mean why icelandic um, uh they're they're actually prayers to different different deities out there in the the dnd verse uh we have one to loth which is uh devil's gamble and it's, it's pretty dark and sinister, but I didn't want it in English because it sounds really lame when you're like, Carver of dreams, weaver <laughs> of fate, who crafted us from darkest clay. Oh. So Icelandic was the natural choice, the dwarven language of our world um, for, for that one. <laughs> Thanks, Aethor. <laughs> Thank you, Aethor. And, and no. He... <laughs> Thanks, Aethel. <laughs> no, really. Like his his translations were, were were very spot on. Icelandic is a very tough language to get um, yeah. non concrete things. You're learning Icelandic. Like, what's? It's a very literal it's rough. language, right? 
yeah, it's it's very little. It's really it's really rough. They have a bunch of cases and tenses that we don't have in English. Um, so they have something called the suffering tense, which I think is so dark and gothic. What? <laughs> what is? What is the suffering I don't tense? No. The suffering tense is when you are receiving something from something or giving something to someone or the subject matter is literally suffering. Like, I ate a pizza isn't just, like, literal translation of I ate a pizza. It's like, I ate, and then the ending of the word pizza will change because the pizza itself is suffering because it's being eaten. <laughs> it's a whole thing, man. It's a whole fucking thing, man. I don't get it. I'm just, I'm using base words at the moment and I'm getting by. <laughs> Well, that's that's good. I know we have uh, the the other song we did, which is going to be Weaver of Fate, which you're probably listening to right now. The demo of it's about the nameless god, and like the lyrics are very abstract. Like through dreamless sleep, he hears you. Seeing without sight, he hungers. He tastes your scent, consumes your fears. You who shall never be whole, he calls to you. Do you seek him? Yeah, I can understand if that was translated. Why that would be a problem? <laughs> yes, we had to get very literal with some stuff. So. Yeah. Is he literally cutting into your dreams? <laughs> it's like, uh, I, let's do it. Yes. Right. <laughs> we will carve them with a knife, like as if you're carving a suffering pumpkin. That was that was a lot of fun. That's good. <laughs> and we put in a little bit of infernal in there too. Uh, the other, the language of uh, devils and demons, mm. uh, the Dungeons and Dragons world of the nine hells, as opposed to the abyss. So let's jump back to the story. We've got the Hungarian scoring choir already. And, don't speak English, and we had to. As people who speak English, we had to write words in Icelandic and Infernal, the D&D language, and get it so it pronounced everything and, and fit well and made sense and get it so this choir could understand it and speak it. It's like four layers of translation here, and we're trying to get some sort of sense out of all of this. That's Travis for you, just coming up with insane, weird ideas. <laughs> and what was really funny about this project is uh, when we recorded with the choir... I think, Travis, you gave me um, like a week, maybe two weeks. Um, you're like, hey, I just booked a choir. I'm sorry. You got any sheet music? I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, so I had to work uh, a lot of hours to make make sure that stuff was ready to go. But what? I didn't know that you didn't have like sheet music for stuff. I thought that's how people just normally do. But you were incredible and you rocked it. Uh, that was a really fun project. And that's the fun of this stuff is you just get to experiment and try new things. And I'm very happy with the results. I know you are too. Absolutely. I think it sounds fantastic. And I think it's a very special project. I think one of the cool things with you, Travis, that has always been a pleasure working with you specifically is that we usually think along the same lines. Like we kind of have <laughs> some kind of connection to where we both can throw out crazy ideas, but neither of us judges each other about oh, that's too crazy, or oh, that'll never work. Instead, we just kind of encourage each other to, okay, cool, try it, and let's see if it works. That's also how we did the White Vault musical and uh, some other projects that are soon to be announced. So really quick, before uh, we let you go, I had a, another question for you that is sort of subversive. I suspect some of the people listening here will are musicians or interested in music and learning how people can become full-time musicians. You're one of the few people who is a full-time musician who works for yourself, and... I know when you left college, that wasn't exactly the case. I, I, in a weird way, I felt like I had all of this skill and I had all of these tangible ways to make money. However, I wasn't making any money. And so I was very proficient in the, the technical and the skill sets and the music theory and all the, basically all the school type elements. 
but I had no proficiency in making money and the business side. And so basically started my career from scratch in Atlanta. Essentially for me, that meant doing it all online. I started building up a client base and, and doing so much content creation online through YouTube and social media. That has really been a platform for me to start creating things like courses and selling books and the whole climate of, of royalties through music tracks um, on different marketplaces and, and writing for movie trailers and kind of the whole gamut of putting all these buckets together to create a steady income as a full-time online musician. And another big part of my career is education. I love helping people who were in my position 10, 15 years ago. Maybe they're just starting off and they, they really want to write music, but they don't really have the tools. They don't, they don't have the skill set. They haven't studied music theory. They don't know how to use the software and they don't know how to make money with their music. So I love being able to help all of those people through the content I create and just the conversations I get to have online. So I really love both writing music and arranging and working with people to help them reach their next level in their careers. And you're doing that through mentorship and also through the Screen Music Academy on Facebook and other places under your name, Stephen Malin. Yeah. So Stephen, we still have a few more songs to create for this soundtrack to finish it off, but uh, for the season. But thank you so much for joining us for this interview. We release you and, and such. Yeah, you got it. Thanks again. Thank you. So to finish the story off real quick, we had about two hours to record a bunch of Dark Dice stuff and some White Vault stuff and some Vast Horizon stuff. Ooh, yeah, it's you can definitely notice it in the upgrade in the uh, intro for uh, the White Vault. Because uh, I listened to season three and I was like, oh my god, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> we also... I've read it exactly right and that sounds terrifying underneath it. Holy shit. Yes. Well, they definitely add a level of something something to it. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, so how long did it take do you reckon to like having written the melodies written the words i mean obviously translation obviously would have taken a bit of time how did it how long did it go for a concept of like i want this to it's in the show ah um well it could be pretty quick or pretty short uh, a couple of them were really really fast steven's track was like written within an hour or two for like each one he was like oh here it is like here's a demo and i'm listening like it I just gave you the concept like an hour ago. Like, how did you already... And it's like, this is amazing. What did you do here? It's all MIDI, but it's going to be recorded on real instruments. Uh, Sambos Miller, myself, and Enzo spent about a week each. Uh, over the course of a week, a couple of hours recording our respective parts. I think the person who got the toughest on it besides... Like, it was Enzo and, and Sambos Miller really had the tough ones because the cello was very intense on those songs and multiple layers because we were trying to do an orchestra. So instead of having an orchestra, we said one person record cello multiple times. That's the secret. <laughs> yes, it's probably far easier than hiring four celloists. <laughs> one person who knows what they're doing. Uh, another song took about a month to do to in total, but it was like over the course of maybe seven hours over the course of a month. Uh, the, the the song of the the silent one, the little the dance salus song, mm. silent dance is the English sort of like dance macabre, but instead it's quiet. Yeah, yeah. I picked um, I picked up the the, the link. <laughs> yeah, it sounds super good. That was like my father was dying, and I started the song, and I was like, "Oh man, this is like something I should work on to distract myself. This would be very good for me." So I would always just like pick at it during the course of like the three weeks that I was with him um, mm. for for that point dark dark time in my life. 
And as a result, we have Definitely the song. Haunting. That's kind of cool. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, uh, if like if there is a way to just listen to the music without us gabbering over the top of it, holy crap! Because uh, oh, you sent me a couple of the samples just as they are. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> they are available on our Patreon. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Is is the the the, the funeral song on there? Wink, wink. Nudge. Oh yeah. Uh, there'll be. I think there's there's two versions on there. Uh, one is with an actual harp, and because you guys sang it. And then Stephen Malin wrote a, a harp piece, and then I sent it to the harp player, but the harp player didn't understand how to actually do his harp parts without sheet music, so she just improvised, oh. and she made up her own version, which was really cool, it but not beautiful. anything like what he'd written. So we actually have two versions. <laughs> wow, really? So well, one's, one's actual harp, one's, one's not real harp, it's fake harp. <laughs> What I what I like because uh, originally we sent you uh, we sent you I, I got a field to sing and then I, I put my crap over the top. Um, we originally sent you the, uh, the, the the prayer that he used. Um, Sindri uses over Rowena the very first time, and we sent you that first, and it sounded like really cheerful. <laughs> he sang it like a happy man. He's like, oh. Da, 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 da. <laughs> he did it was so glorious and then uh, because Aether and I have been getting used to working with each other and like converting Icelandic to, to music was just really fun um, so we did it again with uh, another really really like the translation is like a really like a miserable thing um, and I added that over the most depressing song I could find at the time which was Evanescence My Immortal and then we screwed that massively because neither us can sing that um, and then we that tune you had that harp underneath it I'm like what the hell like this is a what the what on earth is this? I had no idea it was Evanescence. Yeah. I might have actually known that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly not. <laughs> well, I, I, I always go into it just like hearing the words and like not, I can't hear the music backing it. So it's kind of funny. Well, the, 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 the kind of funny thing is I just had to get in a dark headspace to sing it. Obviously, Aethron knows what it means and I have no idea. Like, I have no idea what the hell it means. Like, I know one of the ones we sing really cheerfully is really miserable and vice versa. I think we sent you the most miserable and the miserable song one. Like... <laughs> I'm just hoping and praying I pronounce anything correct. So, um, were those original like lyrics, or were those like he was just like, "Oh, this is a thing from a thing." So the first, uh, the prayer that he utters, and then we sing. I think it comes much later in, in the show. Um, that actually is a really nice thing, and it is literally about a sun creeping over a valley, and then flowers growing, and being happy that flowers are growing, and then there's a bunch of sun, and it's really pretty. The other one is about the sun coming through but emitting dark rays instead and there's like shadows and there are birds flying away taking away the sunlight with it and it's really dark and depressing. <laughs> Super dark. Super <laughs> but dark. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> I kind of like was trying to read between the lines but again Icelandic very literal and the suffering. Yeah very literal. Uh, yeah like metaphors and stuff like that I just don't. It's the same with sarcasm I just don't get it. That makes sense. It's not a thing here. <laughs> so, there was talk at some point of getting the Final Fantasy composer in. What? Yes, uh, along with those many Infernal Dark deals that I made, we we literally put together a 15-song soundtrack with like over maybe an hour and change of non-repeating music, 30-plus yeah. live instruments, and a 40-person choir, and all this other crazy crap. Uh, that is on our, our wonderful list of, of things, but... Uh, we had this composer named Nabuo Uematsu from Final Fantasy, who I happen to be fairly good friends with his manager, and we were chatting, and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'd be happy to work on this with you. Um, let me just finish this title I'm working on. And 
it got pushed back because the title was really important and a lot of people are probably going to play it if they haven't already and then uh, he announced that he was sick and he was uh, basically had to stop everything because his health had taken a, a decline which is public information now so we, we were really close to working with Nobuo Amatsu. He was signed for the project, and he was, like, ready to go. But um, his health intervened, and hopefully he gets better. Fingers crossed. Looking forward to more music from him, or just hoping that he just has a, a good life and, you know, good quality of life. Yeah. I mean, as much as we, we were, like, work really hard to the bone, no, people, don't do that. Like, have life. Um, recover. Nothing's more important than health, happiness, and family. So just, you know, take it easy. Absolutely. Travis, take it easy. <laughs> totally. No, no, it's, so, it's important. Mental health. So is this is this it then? What's the future for the soundtrack? Is there more dumb bardic songs that you're going to force us to record should the bard continue to live or haunt their dreams? Um, is there bigger, better choirs out there? Are there more famous musicians you just happen to have deals with? Well, <laughs> What's out there for us, Travis? Well, I, I think uh, we have... We've got a pretty good soundtrack right now. I think it, it carries us through the season. We're missing mm-hmm. only one more song, which I, I was going through the scripts uh, for one of the transcripts, I should say, because you beautifully transcribe every episode, and then I go through those. And I'm like, beautifully. You say beautifully, but there are so many typos in there. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. No one reads them but us. That's, no one. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I think at one point I'm referred to as Mr. Caitlin. Yes, you are, and I think for a while I tagged you as Mr. Caitlin rather than putting down Travis. <laughs> so that, uh, there's there's a bunch of really funny things in there, but um, I, I missed an encounter with a certain moment with a, a creature, and I forgot to because our really combat is like really boring without music and sound effects because you've got all the yeah. the repetition of information that takes place. So uh, making sure that. I, I do record something for this very special moment in the story is is key, and I completely I forgot this ever happened because it was it's like we did the what? <laughs> I was reading the script and I was like, oh, I don't remember that at all. So we have to uh, wait. Record that. What was that? <laughs> like it'll it'll come up probably in the next episode or two. Two, I think it's two episodes away. But I have to in January we'll be recording and uh, writing that. Stephen Malin's doing all the heavy lifting on it it's going to be based on another song that already pre-exists so we can have like the throwbacks uh, yeah overture sort of style like oh overtures overtures and themes is that something you're going to continue on into like season two like have you got like a a theme set up particularly for the silent one or a theme particularly set up for like certain characters for example are we going to see more of that so for the use of music, uh, generally our, our use of music tends to be very battle-based because when we're talking or, or doing things, we want to experience the world and not have the music detract from what's being said or influence how you, the listener, perceive the scene because music can certainly influence how you hear the scene. I, I think we have all the music we will need for the life of the characters that uh, we have this season. So <laughs> Until they're all dead or retired in some regard i believe yeah, uh yeah the fabled second season depending on how well uh whether we want to come back travis after what you've done to us um <laughs> <laughs> and i keep thinking like oh we've gotten through the really bad parts and then i'll get to like the next chapter like it got worse yeah <laughs> how did we make this worse because it's not just you making it worse we make it worse for ourselves <laughs> like we do not help ourselves at all no it's really beautiful um so i hope to capture lightning to... again one day so you're let's 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 flip the tables a second so you do um 
you're, you're a bard, you're on a, a show, and where did you get the decision? You're like, okay, I can bust a rhyme. This is kind of like, because your stuff inspired like me to get really excited for this. So how did you get to the place where you're like, yeah, I'm just going to like rhyme everything, and I'm not just going to be like the bard who's like, by the power of Grayskull, I have a song. <laughs> So this kind of actually developed something from my home game. Um, back in 4E, you used to have like the cards, and one of them was called like uh, something limerick, um, and I don't remember exactly the, the ability for the bard, but it was something limerick, and I decided I'd only ever cast that spell. It would only ever be successful if I actually popped a lyric right there at the table. A limerick <laughs> right there at the table. So... My the, the other players who were playing with me every time I'm like I'm gonna bust out this limerick they were like oh no because it would take me like a minute the first time and then like a minute and a bit and eventually it just got quicker and quicker and quicker until I just had rhyme 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 and then ever since I played bards like I decided to make them vocal bars with like little instruments they could strum because then I could just knock out a rhyme which I love rhyming I love singing I'm not wonderfully great at either but I give it a shot and just hope for the best um, that, that tends to be my attitude so I decided the choice was either I was going to be a beatboxing bard or I was going to be a limerick uh, rhyming bard so I went with rhyming bard because you know microphones don't do well with beatboxing especially if it's not set up for it which mine isn't so I decided to go for the rhyming bard instead no that's awesome <laughs> to clarify to everyone who's here listening to this like you actually did all those rhymes on the spot. There wasn't like, let's give yes. a million minutes for this. It was just like, I'm going to cast a spell. Here we go. Boom, well, you, you say that, but because I, I have, as a GM, I have a personal infuriation when my magic-based character players don't have their stuff prepared. So while I'm waiting for the next person to have their go, I'm trying to desperately think of a rhyme related to what's going on or what is related to my ability. There is, however, I believe much later on in an instance where someone did something dumb and I had like a moment to think, I've got to stop that playing doing something. So I just had to bust out a rhyme. Like there are there are a couple of those where I just do have to do them very quickly and that's that just comes down to a lot of a lot of practice with rhyming and stuff. So, are we going to get like Rowena's Greatest Hits Volume Three? At some I, point in the I don't know. That 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 depends on if you're going to remix the stupid shit I say. And, and very much appreciated that you you put up with all the stuff that we're doing. I'm just I'm, I'm hearing the Eminem intro, the one that he did the lawsuit over in New Zealand over, uh, using the song for. <laughs> which that's why I'm not even going to reference the song. <laughs> but I'm just hearing so. You have your own podcast. How do you use music on your show uh, on The Lucky Die? So on to Lucky Die, we're very, very, very lucky to have a guy named Neil Martin, who is also a play, plays Raoul Jacques, and he also plays Iris on the show. Not only is our editor, but he's a ridiculously talented musician. Um, he doesn't read sheet music. He doesn't get that. But he riffs and can memorize and can write down shorthand for himself. And he composes all of our music. Um, so he does everything under either my really long ridiculous descriptions of stuff or he'll put them under battle if it's important but he also does it under things like dreams and he'll I'll just say oh by the way uh, <laughs> at the very beginning of the show I'm like uh, spoiler alert by the way like this character isn't really dead can we have a theme there and just bring it back whenever I tell you to and he was like yeah sure what's a the theme <laughs> so, so 
<laughs> so Neil's been really good at like playing with that. I mean, I'm like, I have a vague idea on what I want, and he turns it into into masterpiece. So genuinely, all of our music comes down to Neil's genius and me going, that theme here would be good, or this theme about this sort of thing would be good, or oh, this is a budding romance that we're gonna maybe reference back much, 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 much further in the future. Um, so can you just do like a theme, and he'll be like, okay, sure, and I want it to be pretty, okay, and he just does like tinkly stuff. It's it's really all down to Neil. Neil's, Neil's the expert there. I just tell him when I want it. <laughs> That's super delightful. And Neil Neil's wonderful and also very talented. Um, the introduction mm. theme like pulled me in in within seconds. I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, this he, isn't he stuff wrote that music. for his band. Um, he was in a band uh, a fair while back, and he apparently. TLD was based on him opening the dictionary, finding a random word, he doesn't remember what it is, and making music based on that. Um, so when it came to doing this project, he, he threw a couple of uh, themes in our way and we were like, yeah, it's okay, it's not bad, like, it's a bit, it's okay. And then he was like, all right, I've got this, throw it at us. And we're like, dude, you've been holding on to that. Fuck you, you knew this was going to be the theme. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he's done a lot of themes for um, a lot of other podcasts out there. I think he did the Taking Initiative theme. I think he did Prison Pals. Uh, yeah, he's done a fair few out there now. And there, there is a really great uh, and vibrant uh, TTRPG community of very talented podcasters. For the like, We recommend a different show every week, I think, and we have since <laughs> the start. But there, there really are so many good shows out there, and if... Yeah, I know we take a long time to release Dark Dice episodes. It takes it takes it takes a while for us to get the episodes out, mainly because uh, they needed to be transcribed so you could get all the all the lines out to people, and that took uh, two and a half weeks of me sitting at my PC just transcribing the hours and hours and hours and hours of audio. And then you've got to cut it down. Someone's got to do the mixing. Like it takes a long time because it's a very highly polished um, actual play. We have to uh, clarify. So- um, there's this wonderful woman named Sarah Baczynski, uh, Polarity Audio yes. Works, and she does the first cut. Like she literally just goes through and's like, "Oh, this is all Lustcraft. We don't need half this stuff." And then like she'll just <laughs> literally kill all the gaps of silence. You get the shortened version. Uh, you do the transcription. God, yes. The actors and uh, slash cast members slash players uh, who record the extra little bits. So re-record lines that are slightly weird because those are yeah, mainly because we're. You know, I think the first two weekends, uh, the first two weekends we played, we were literally in our rooms for like eight hours playing. Um, so for some of us, we were playing in our booth. Some of us were playing at a table in the garage. Like, there's a lot of erroneous noise that happens over eight hours when you're playing in a house. So some of those lines have to be re-recorded, especially when people eat into the microphone. Never do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the thing. I ate an apple once. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I think it was like 10 hours of audio in which you were eating apples, Aether was eating something loud, someone else had really bad audio, I had enough of that point. <laughs> so sorry. But yeah, and then um, from there, uh, Marissa does the, the micro cut and like sharpens it and gets everyone's takes replaced and uh, puts all the actors for the NPCs and stuff together and then I'll do the sound. And that's kind of our our newest, latest and greatest streamlined system of, of getting this you guys yeah. at a reasonable time frame yeah so it might take a little while but i think like someone said once like it doesn't matter technically when it comes out because future generations will never know there was like four months between episode one and episode or whatever so like these things happen um you know life and also this is very highly polished i mean you had a 40 person gosh darn choir people going off it's gonna take some time to do that <laughs> just a little yeah yeah 
it's highly edited. I'll just say it was an insane session. Like they used music terms I've not heard since like learning music. And they're like, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, what? I was like, I, I, I almost sort of looked these up because I've forgotten, <laughs> haven't used them since I learned what they were. How how did they deal with the random Icelandic inflections? Uh, did did you? Oh, did they have any of the weird noises? So to clarify, uh, Hungarian is very similar to Icelandic. They have a lot of the rolled R's. They have a lot of the hard K's, the ch sounds that you'll find in um, uh, is it Hebrew. Yeah, Hebrew and other languages. Um, so they, they did really fine. Their only confusion was when we gave them like English for like one of the gimmick parts for the wide fault at the end. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I think had we had an American choir it wouldn't have gone well at all because of all the weird nuances i was like oh this is like a rolled r and he's like yes and i was like no no you don't get it it's a rolled r he's like we have rolled r's I'm like oh yes yes you do <laughs> i seemed like a genius to them they're like of course you picked us with the icelandic this is a perfect fit like no other you know there are certain other languages you could have chosen but we happen to be like native with a lot of these it's really really good fit <laughs> it's not a natural set of sounds to come out of uh english phrase tongue i'm afraid it's uh no. it's difficult so i was like how did you get four people to do this now i understand okay my <laughs> <laughs> and in short that's how we got our our beautiful soundtrack that we uh, we have uh, which is available on our Patreon. Uh, it's being uploaded as the music releases to episodes, and we're we're excited to share more and more of those songs with you as time goes on, with lyrics and explaining the translations and such. Um, but no, seriously, um, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoy our show. The next episode uh, will be out fairly soonish, and we have many more terrors to share with you in the long, dark nights. A story of monsters, mystery, and myth, and the four adventurers who have banded together as heroes and as friends. And then he hears Val's voice from above, and then he basically feels better. Yeah. <laughs> who come together to make the world a little safer for their fellow mortals. Large creatures. I brought Hody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can't put yep. Hody in danger. Well, I guess it's hero time. Reckless Attack is a weekly, collaboratively built and character-driven D&D 5th edition actual play podcast. Join us at our table as we explore a homebrew fantasy world whose future is built on the mistakes of the past. A story of ultra giants and saints, legends and rediscovery, and stacks of frogs. Chakras is building his own Ewok village. <laughs> yes, <he is. laughs> uh-huh. Check us out at RecklessAttack.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.